welcome to the Garden Church Podcast. How do we grow in the power of the Holy Spirit? Acts chapter 1, Jesus says in verse 5, he says, um, actually another way I want to kind of frame this sermon, um, Pentecost Sunday, today's the day we celebrate the birth of the church And another way I want to uh, kind of frame this sermon is how to do the Jesus stuff. I I want to be a church that does the Jesus stuff, right? John Wimber says, um, do the stuff. And he's referring to the ministry of the Holy Spirit. And it seems like we talk about the Jesus stuff, but we don't do the Jesus stuff. And I want to be a church that does the Jesus stuff, heals the sick, casts out demons, raises the dead, prays and has prayers answered. I want to see salvation and life and transformation. I want to see the fruit of the Spirit in our community over a long period of time. I want to be an old man who looks more like Jesus, not more bitter and angry and grumpy. Anyone else? Old woman, old men who become lighter with age, more joyful with age. Let's just get better as we mature in Christ. Are you with me? All right, so Acts chapter 1, verse 5, Jesus says, John baptized with water, but in a few days you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. Remember, you will be filled, overwhelmed, saturated, dipped, thrown into the deep end of the pool in the presence of God. And then he goes on in verse 8, and he says this phrase, which is this whole series built on this. You will receive power, dunamis, it's, it's the Greek word dynamis. Where we get the word dynamite, dynamic. You'll receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you. And you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, and all Samaria and to the ends of the earth. So you will, be, you will receive the presence of God. You will receive uh, the, the Holy Spirit. Then you will receive power as a result of the presence of God. And when you have power, it will empower you to have warm fuzzies, to, to, to just go to coffee shops and talk about the hard things in life and maybe throw out some Jesus calling quotes or Oswald Chambers, nothing wrong with those things. No, 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 to be witnesses. The Greek word martyria, martyr. It's where we get the word, yeah, not margarita. Is that what she said? <laughs> Wow. You will receive power for happy hour. Let's go. Um, I got one-liners all day. No, you will receive power to die for what you believe in, to live for what you've become aware of, to live in a way that points to the resurrected Messiah, Jesus Christ. That is what the Holy Spirit comes to do in the church. Are you with me? Now, the question I have, and I'm going to do some teaching, is how do you grow in power? I'm going to define power as the capacity or the ability to do things. Power is the the ability to get things done that you wouldn't have been able to do without something. 
in this in the spiritual world, in the supernatural, in the kingdom world, you receive um, power. Power is defined as the ability to do the things that Jesus did. Jesus wants to give you access, resource from heaven through his presence, not through uh, a force to wield, but his presence comes to transform you so that as you are transformed, you can, um, you can become a, a transformation in the world. Hey, we're going to have someone come read the passage today. I forgot to do this. Can I have Jordan come up? Where's Jordan at? Jordan, you get up here, Jordan. Would you guys welcome Jordan? The text we're going to frame. This is Jordan, one of our house church pastors. Um, she's going to read the text um, that we're going to frame this. This is Pentecost Sunday, and I should have had this done earlier. You can go right there. And would you guys stand for the reading of the word? This is the, the, the text we have. It comes from Acts chapter 2. I should probably give you a microphone. Thank you. <laughs> Acts chapter 2. When the day of Pentecost came, they were all together in one place. Suddenly, a sound like the blowing of a violent wind came from heaven and filled the whole house where they were sitting. They saw what seemed to be tongues of fire that separated and came to rest on each of them. All of them were filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit enabled them. Now there were staying in Jerusalem God-fearing Jews from every nation under heaven. When they heard this sound, a crowd came together in bewilderment because each one heard their own language being spoken. Utterly amazed, they asked, aren't all these who are speaking Galileans? This is the word of the Lord. Praise be to God. You may be seated. That was supposed to happen before I started. Sorry about that. Jordan, you crushed it. You just nailed the reading of the word. I want to honor the word of God here. And, um, and this, so, so what, the, what happens as we talk about this particular text, this is the moment humanity, creation, has been longing for. It's the day of Pentecost, the day that the Jewish community celebrates. They, they, they put it in their calendar, and they leave their homes, and they come. They travel to Jerusalem 50 days after Passover, the Greek word Pentecost 50th, to celebrate two major festivals. The first is the, the first fruits of the harvest that the, the people of God would come and recognize they don't own their fields. They are given those fields to steward on behalf of God. So when a harvest comes, they bring the first fruits to God and offer their first fruits back to God. So Pentecost is first a celebration of the first fruits of what, what has been given to them. The second thing they celebrate is what happened in Exodus chapter 19, the renewal of covenant. So once a year, the people of God would come back to Jerusalem on a scheduled event and they would remember what Moses did and what God did when he freed the Israelites out of uh, Egypt. In Exodus 19, um, Moses brings the law down from Mount Sinai. When he, he's confronted, when he, when he goes to the mountain, fire comes down, smoke comes down. There's earthquake, there's violent wind. So when you read Exodus 19 and you hear the, the language of a wind, a violent wind, which is the, the Hebrew word for ruach, the Greek word is pneuma, you, hear, you feel an earthquake, things are shaking, you see fire, all representing the manifestation of God's presence on earth. 
And so the people of God would remember the 10 commandments and, and all of the law and the 10 commandments in the law was the thing that separated, the covenant that separated Israel from the rest of the world. And when the law came down, remember what, this is just a side note. Remember Moses brings the law and he's confronted with idolatry. They're worshiping Baal. And when the law comes down, 3,000 people die. Do you remember the story in Exodus? So Pentecost is a celebration of the coming of the law and the first fruits of harvest and the people of God being identified as God's people who are set to be kingdom of priests and a holy nation. And so Pentecost, which I think is fascinating, I just want to highlight this, that the moment the Spirit comes on the church was a scheduled event. We always talk about being spirit-filled, meaning we need to be spontaneous. I don't think <laughs> that you have to be spirit-filled and not structured. That God delights in liturgy. He can speak to us spontaneously on the stage and speak to us in all of the preparation that it took to prepare a word. He can speak to you as you go to something preparing and in the moment, both are okay. But in the day of Pentecost, the people of God came together in one place. Sunday, they gathered together for a special moment and God did show up. So we can't just neglect the fact that's, that when we gather in a liturgical sense, like a Sunday gathering, there is this anticipation, this mini reminder of Pentecost every time we gather. And the Spirit comes, and, I, and this is just so fascinating. I'm just giving you some theology before I jump into the rest of this. Um, um, uh, the, the, this. There was a blowing of a violent wind from heaven that filled the whole house. When people, whenever I minister in contexts that are cautious about things of the Spirit, and I go all over the world and I'll help churches want, that want to become more Spirit-filled or, or operate in things of the Spirit, one of the common things I hear is they don't want it to get weird. It's like a, a, it's like a playbook for cautious Christians. They, they read all of the lists of the gifts in, uh, in, in 1 Corinthians 12 and 13 and 14. And the thing they focus on is order. You think about this? In your own life, so many of us have come from backgrounds of Christianity that are powerless. Meaning the fruit, like we think, well, the spirit is this energy force that gives us salvation and then maybe whispers to us in circumstances, but doesn't want to saturate and baptize us in a way that our very being changes. Like Charles Finney, who would walk into places like factories and people would fall down repenting because of the presence of God that was on his life. That is a fact. That is a historical account that one factory shut down during a revival because Charles Finney showed up and people just started stopping working and repenting because the presence of God fell on them. And we don't think we have access to the same spirit. But I go to these churches and they focus on order. But then I'm like, well, if you want the Holy Spirit, do you realize that when the Spirit came, it, the, the description of what happened is terrifying and beyond weird, right? <laughs> Stranger things. Like, like the idea of the, the cessationist John MacArthur preaching about strange fire. Yes, it is strange. When the Spirit comes, they say, well, it was kind of like a tongue on fire, 
Okay, well, first, before that, let me just, there was like a, the doors were shut and there was a violent wind. Things were blowing over. The cross fell over. The communion cups were, were circling in the middle because we didn't have trash cans to throw them in. Coffee was spilling everywhere because of this violent wind. And then, and then the spirit of God came and the way we could describe it, you had to be there, is that there was like this floating tongue and then it dispersed and became little mini tongues and it rested on everyone's head. That's weird. <laughs> but that's not the weird part. Okay, what do you mean that's not the weird part? No, 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 it got weirder. Then these Galilean hicks with their Galilean accents started speaking in different languages, like so many different languages. And because there were God-fearing Jews all, from all over that were in Jerusalem for Pentecost, people heard praises, wonders of God being spoken in their own languages. Wait, what do you mean? Like when the Spirit came, people were given the ability to speak in a different language, like Spanish and, and Russian and Ukrainian and uh, Northern Irish, which is a totally different dialect, Scottish. Yes. Now, what's so fascinating about that is and I love the theology of this. This is, this is all for me, by the way. I'm just doing it for, for my sake. Genesis 6, language, one language is used to displace God as they build a tower to heaven. And they say, we don't need God anymore. And God uses language to disperse humanity, Genesis 6. And, and as, almost as a curse for humanity's efforts to displace God. So language was used to displace God in Genesis 6. But when the Holy Spirit comes and gives a diverse language, diverse languages come back into unity, praising God. It's the reversal of Babel. Woo! You got Genesis 1, the wind, Ruach, blowing over creation. You have Exodus 19, the coming of the law. You have how many people at the end of Acts chapter 2, after Peter gets up and proclaims the gospel, how many people are saved, by the way? There's a specific number. 3,000 people are baptized. Do you see what's going on? Luke, this great theologian, is saying, no, 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 this is Genesis 1. This is the reversal of Genesis 3. This is the reversal of Genesis 6. This is the fulfillment of Exodus 19. This is the reversal of what happens at the end when they're worshiping Baal. This is all of it coming together on the birthday of our church. The Spirit of God is the oxygen of our church. It's the blood flow. It is what keeps us alive. And for so many of us, we've been hesitant. I just want to say jump in. Because let me say this. We live at a time where our cultural moment requires something new. When the church was born, William Barclay said the days of the early church were days in which obviously the church seethed and surged with power. And Paul says, since we live by the Spirit, let us keep in step with the Spirit. Our cultural moment, if you listen to podcasts or read books or the news or recognize that postmodernity is taking us on this wild adventure towards a secular vision of progress with, uh, uh, of a kingdom without the king. We want, we want progress without the presence of God in our culture, and we're seeing the fruit 
of this secular vision, and it's manifesting a kind of fruit of despair and anxiety and brokenness and divorce and hate and division like never before in our Western context. And I, I was reading recently the missiologist Leslie Newbegin, and he prophetically proclaims the state of which we are in when describing the mission field of the West. He says, what we have is a pagan society whose public life is ruled by beliefs which are false. And because it's not a pre-Christian paganism, but, but a paganism born out of the rejection of Christianity, it is far tougher and more resistant to the gospel than pre-Christian paganism with which foreign missionaries have been in contact during the past 200 years. Here, he's talking about Western context, without possibility of question, is the most challenging missionary frontier of our time. What he's getting at is this. Our society in the West, in the United States, has turned away from a form of expression of Christianity. They have rejected a brand of Christianity that has been built on concepts and precepts rather than experiential reality. Our Western culture has dismissed Christianity because of the form of Christianity it's been presented. Mainly that it's a gospel preached and proclaimed without the demonstration of its power and transformation. We're living in a moment, think about this, and I talked about this last week in regards to Doctor Strange and Moon Knight. So if you missed that, uh, I don't know what to tell you. Um, But we're living at a moment where people are open to experiences of the supernatural spiritualism, but a rejection of any absolute truth. So we want the experience of yoga and Buddhism and justice without Christ. We want the experience of being part of an awakening, a a wokeism, of, of, of enlightened wisdom without any absolute truth other than feelings of experience. All that to say, you might think this is a really hard time to be the church. I disagree. I think this is our moment. (laughs) Because what we have is a movement built out of power. In other words, what our culture needs is a God encounter. We need to stop trying to convince people, arguing them, like for real. We don't need to do TikTok videos trying to convince people of Jesus anymore. I mean, seriously, I've seen some of these things like, hey, can I pray for you? And then it's great. Okay, great. You're using TikTok, whatever. Like, I, I don't understand it. In my mind, be in relationship with people and reveal to them how you live in a way that is so countercultural and, and desirable, they can't help but join you in a middle school in downtown Long Beach because this is where there's life. But that requires you living empowered by the Holy Spirit. It will require everything. So your Christianity that has been propped up by podcasts and five-minute devotions won't be enough for the world we're facing. The kind of demonic, and I say this intentionally, the kind of demonic opposition we face in the West today is what Martin Lloyd-Jones said will require a kind of deliverance and prayer that can only happen with prayer and fasting. 
How are we doing, church? It's Pentecost Sunday. So, brothers and sisters, we have access to heaven. We can bring heaven's culture into our own reality. Right now, into, uh, bring heaven's culture into our, into our moment. We can bring transformation where it's needed. We have VIP access. We have early admission to what's coming. We're futurists living in the present. Do you realize we're like Airbnb in 2008 in a world of Hilton hotel chains? Right? Just imagine the boardroom scenario in 2008, Hilton executives in a, in a, in a planning strategy for their future. They're like, we're going to take over. We're going to become the largest hotel chain in the world. They are the largest hotel chain in the world. In 2008, there was a group of people in a garage having this idea about sharing houses Airbnb was, was birthed in 2008. At the time, Hilton established, which was established in 1919, the largest hotel chain today has 1 million rooms around the world in 5,000 hotels in 90 countries, and it's valued at $12 billion. You think of that massive organization, and there's little Airbnb 2008, which now, 14 years later, has over 100 million rooms, has over 7 million listings, over 2.9 million hosts in 20, 220 countries, and is valued at over $40 billion. It's the world's largest accommodation provider, and it owns no real estate. What kind of imagination do you have? What kind of imagination do you have when you go to your work, when you go to the park with your kids, knowing heaven's resources are bearing down because you're baptized into a different reality where you go. This is what I'm getting at. This is what I want. Yes, we want marriages to be healed and fixed. Yes, we want to pray for every school to be protected and carried over the next season. Yes, we want you to be breakthrough from addiction. Yes, we want breakthrough from anger and resentment and false identity and the painful past. Absolutely. And that's what the Spirit comes to do. But also then you get turned towards the world as a witness of Christ. And if you want to become that kind of person, well, you need power. This cultural moment requires something of us that's new. And let me just tell you what I think it requires. It needs you to look like Jesus, act like Jesus, talk like Jesus, serve like Jesus, love like Jesus, and minister like Jesus. What we must learn is to demonstrate the message that this kingdom of heaven has power to overcome evil in all its effects. Just like the early church demonstrated this to its generation, we must operate in the power of God that releases those in bondage, that heals the brokenhearted, that frees people from the power of the enemy. We must get back to our roots. We must learn to operate in naturally supernatural. One more plug for the course that's happening today. So this goes to my question then practically how? I got like 15 minutes. I'm going to give you some practicals. Here we go. You ready? So in the last 15 years, since I was filled with the Holy Spirit, I have been on this quest to understand how I missed it my whole life. How I can be taught how to follow Jesus without his presence. How I can go to church and hear messages like this and never try to apply it in my own life. I want to give you structure 
that can help you grow in power from the Holy Spirit. I believe there are ways we can grow because Jesus says his vision for you is this. Very truly, I tell you, whoever believes in me will do the works I have been doing and they will do even greater things than these because I'm going to the Father and I will do whatever you ask in my name so that the Father may be glorified in the Son. I wonder if your prayers are glorifying the Son. We become the kinds of people who don't have to look at our wrists and say, okay, what would Jesus do in this situation? WWJD. We become the kinds of people that when we're in a situation, we can't help to naturally do, think, react, pray the things that Jesus would do, think, react, pray if he were here in this situation. This is what discipleship is, that our asking has been formed, has been um, discipled in a way that even our asking reflects the heart of Jesus. And when we ask the prayers that he would ask, it glorifies the Father and the Son in our asking. That Jesus says, you may ask for uh, me for anything in my name and I will do it. How many of you want that power? Hold on. Can you be trusted with that power? I'm thinking of a Spider-Man quote right now. I'm just going to stop. We were built for power. So how do we grow in it? Over the years, I've looked through my life, through our church's experience, and I've asked the question, what, what increases the ministry of Jesus in our church? Now, here's what I want to say. I'm going to teach something, and here's a massive disclaimer, all right? So highlight everyone watching, disclaimer, disclaimer, disclaimer. God will use anyone to get his will accomplished. No matter how holy, how much work, how much discipline, how, how long you've been a Christian, how, how, uh, how new you are, it doesn't matter your age, it doesn't matter. You can be a donkey, and God will speak through you. Case in point. Sometimes God, and that's a, that's a pastor joke from the Old Testament. For those of you that are keeping record at home, Balaam's donkey, it was, a, it was literally a donkey that God spoke through a donkey to get someone's attention. So God will use anyone, okay? That's my point. You don't need any of this. But if you want to journey towards experiencing power, more power, I want to give you some helpful structure. Is that all right? So here's something that I, I borrowed from uh, Jordan Sang, who wrote a book called Miracle Work. Highly recommend it. A pastor in Hawaii who's, um, who, who kind of mechanically breaks down naturally supernatural minister, ministry, much like the Absaloms do. Um, and he says this. This is, I, I couldn't agree more. I've seen this in my own life. But authority plus faith plus gifts plus holiness equals power. What he says is not that, it's not, again, not that you, I, you know, if you do these things, then you will experience this for $5.99. No, that's not what he's saying. But if you want to grow in the things of the Spirit, there are ways of growing in each of these things that will empower you to do the stuff. Good? So can we break this down real quick? So definition of power, the capacity or ability to direct or influence the behavior of others or the course of the events, the ability to do something by virtue or strength, 
skills or resources. Spiritual power or kingdom of power is the ability to do the Jesus stuff. Okay, number one is authority. If, if power is the ability to do the stuff, authority is the right to do the stuff. It's the capacity, it's the right to give orders or to do something. Authority is about recognizing where it comes from. Matthew chapter 10, verse one. Jesus called his disciples to him and gave them authority to drive out impure spirits and to heal every disease and sickness. Matthew 28, all all authority in heaven's been given to me. Therefore, go and make disciples. We are living um, in a kingdom that has authority and power and structure. Now, I know this is hard to talk about because this millennials and Gen Z hate authority. We can't stand it. We think our primary task is to hold it accountable, which I understand why, because people abuse power in positions of authority. But if you don't like authority, you will never understand the dynamics of the kingdom. That we have a king. And he gives orders. It's like the army for a bad example, but let's just talk about this. A private in the army has no authority. It's like the lowest, as from what I understand, it's like the lowest status in the army. But a general has a lot of authority and power. Now, if a private operates on his own, he's not gonna go very far. But let's say the general writes in order for this private to carry out. It's as if he's carrying the general's authority in his obedience, which authority increases in your life through obedience. If you want to grow in authority, you have to grow in obedience. This is why um, we see over and over again, uh, Jesus say in John 15, he says, if you remain in me and my words remain in you, John 15, seven, ask whatever you wish and it will be done for you. So in other words, if you want his kingdom to come, then let his will be done in your life, right? So ensure obedience to God increases our authority to exercise kingdom power. So if you want more authority, seek opportunities for obedience. Learning to obey his voice in ordinary moments in life is the key to growing in obedience. As you hear his voice in, um, sorry, authority, as you hear his voice and obey, as you spend time with God and learn to hear his voice, he will increase your ability to exercise power as you operate and live out of obedience. And it never gets easy. So if you want to grow in authority, seeing the things of Jesus, if you want to grow in power, you have to grow in authority. And the way you grow in authority is through obedience. Just Friday, I was at this place called Cedar House in uh, Orange. It's uh, Pete Shambrick, a good friend from Rock Harbor, leads this prayer house ministry, does all sorts of things. It's an amazing ministry. They have like this house church that prays and worships passionately and desires things of the Spirit. And as I was going there, I was uh, writing down words of knowledge before I got there as a, as a way of turning up the risk because I felt like, hey, I, I, one of my rules I've shared with you is that I can't share stories. Remember, I, to our church, I can't st- share any stories of God ministering that are older than the series we're in because I felt like I'd say retire that material for this church and I want to give you new material. So I've been trying to get new stories. It's really hard. I have some really great old stories. 
but I've been collecting new ones. And this week, uh, Friday, I wrote down a word of knowledge for a bunch of people, you know? And I, it's never easy to go, all right, I just got done preaching this very long hour and 20-minute talk. And it was, there were quotes, and it was, it was hermeneutically great, and there were some pyrotechnics involved, and dance, no, there wasn't. Um, but the last thing I want to do is get done seeming smart, and then, hey, I've got some words, and they just fall flat. Does anyone know what I'm talking about? Maybe not directly, but you know what I mean. Like, you don't want to look dumb or look like, oh, I'm just talking about growing in power and hearing God's voice, and then you share what you think you hear and nothing happens. That's, that's the fear I always have. So at the end, I'm just, I want to grow. I want to see God's power manifest so bad. I want, I want, this is my prayer, and I'm going to share it. I want people to experience radical healing in our church during worship and teaching where nobody prayed for them. The presence of God was just so powerful that healing just takes place. Like, I want demons to shriek, shriek, and shrink when they walk in. I want that kind of power in our church. Where, like, people are like, I, I just know that if I go there, things will change. I want, I, want to, I, like, I want to see surges of power of God. I do. I want Because that testimony is so, so great, right? It's like, you know, hey, I was tormented by demons, and now I'm right in my mind. I was, I was blind, and now I can see. I, was, I, was, I had physical pain in my body for six years, and now it's gone. I wasn't sleeping for 20 years, and now I can sleep fine without medication. Like those kind of testimonies, they're really helpful for our experiential culture. Right, so I had a list of words, and I was I start with the very large, vague ones, you know, like oh, anxiety, stand up, you know, and then which is there's always anxiety in the room, and then sleep, people struggling with sleep, there's always people struggling with sleep. It's like that's like the inside job, like okay, we'll start, yeah, okay, well now we'll pray that God heals, hopefully, but then I had some specific ones. This guy's name with a street and university they live by. I mean, I don't do that. Julian does that. I don't really do that. I did it, and there was a guy with the name, with the street, living by the university. And I'm like, holy cow. And so, but then I have like 12 points of specific things. And I'm like, I'm shocked. He's coming, and I don't share it with everyone. I just, okay, I'm going to share the rest of it. Is this the thing? And his eyes are just getting bigger and bigger and bigger and bigger and bigger. My eyes are getting bigger and bigger and bigger and bigger. Oh my gosh, this is insane. Oh, and then, and then I, I minister to him. He's, he's just shocked. And God begins to minister to a specific thing that he needed more than anything else. Isn't that amazing? Uh, this is what, what am I saying? Well, like I was obedient to read a, a, a note on my, I had no like, thus saith the Lord. I just threw out thoughts on a piece of paper. And God used it. And I'm sharing this story to show you that I thought it was all going to fail, except for the like sleep and anxiety. I knew someone would stand for that. But the specifics, because that's how I, we have to grow. Increase. But let me just say this. One more thing that I've, I've just learned along the way. Every time you resist temptation, it's an act of obedience. So when you, when you see temptation, so you're going to lust. You're going to gossip. You're going to go online and, and check out because you've had a hard day and checking out is the way you, 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 you cope with life, but God's told you it's not for you for this season. 
every time you resist that temptation, the other side of it is obedience. So the other side of it is access to more power. So see that as your training ground for authority. You with me? Okay, I gotta go through these fast. Faith, number, number two, thank you. Um, you know, I'm not gonna go fast. It's 11.30, if you wanna go, go, you can leave. You'll miss the best part. Um, I have song and dance at the end. So faith, <laughs> faith is standing in the reality of what is true. Your faith is active. It's what you demonstrate with your life. So if you believe God's not interested in you, if you believe God's withholding and holding out, then your life and your prayers and your power will be reflecting that belief. The word faith is connected to trust. It's connected to belief and it's dynamic. And I told you that, you know, one scholar says the best modern translation is to relax in. So are you relaxing in the truth about God? So when finances are stretched and you don't know if you're going to have enough, does worry and anxiety and scarcity creep in? Or have you learned that God loves to provide for you? Not like loves to provide generally, but like loves to provide for you. And that we're part of a community with plenty of resource and we can walk into the situation knowing our Father will take care of our needs. Do you know who he is and what he's like? Because there's a role of faith in a miracle lifestyle. At least 27 miracles in the Gospels are, uh, are, are part of faith being mentioned. Nine times Jesus says to a recipient of healing, your faith has made you well. And there are a number of times where Jesus rebukes the disciples for failing at healing because they lacked faith. There's clearly a connection between faith and power. Jordan Sang says this, I love this. God's main goal is to encourage us to trust his love. Trust is that word faith in Greek. So it makes sense that he would arrange things so that power flows most easily through those who fully trust his compassionate generosity in providing it. So I'd put it this way. Miracle working faith believes that God is genuinely eager for the goodness of miracles. Do you believe our heavenly father desires and eagerly desires miracles to flow in our church? Because I do. The best way you can grow. So how do you cultivate faith? Here's some practicals. Number one, ask for faith. Faith is given by God. We know it's a gift. You can increase your uh, faith by God giving you the gift of faith, the, the ability to see him in scenarios and situations where you wouldn't normally be able to see. Number two is risk. Risk. Um, uh, remember, faith is spelled R-A-S-K. Risk is stepping out, getting uncomfortable. In our Christian culture, we have created a movement around comfort, security, and convenience. But discipleship culture is built around discomfort and getting uncomfortable. It's built around risk. He's like, hey, uh, Jesus, if, if this is really you, tell me to come out and walk on the water. Like, where did that come from? Like you see him, you think he's a ghost, then you think it's Jesus. You're like, okay, I, I'm supposed to be like my rabbi, so should I be able to walk on water? That I, yeah. So he gets out of the boat and he's walking on water. Could you imagine that moment? All the other disciples in the boat going, oh my gosh, look at Peter. And then he looks at the waves and he's like, oh man, this shouldn't, be, this shouldn't happen. And then he begins to sink. And then Jesus says, little faith one, like, you know, if you have faith, like we are called into risk. Number three, um, share testimonies. 
We're going to start doing this more and more on Sunday. We need to share testimonies of God moving in our church, right? Because when you share testimonies, faith increases in a community, right? And number four, this is so important. When you hear testimonies, honor them. Celebrate them. When when somebody says, oh man, um, I'm freed from addiction for the last six years, you celebrate that sobriety. You champion that testimony. When someone gets healed, you celebrate. Don't ever get tired or bored or comfortable when God shows up. For whatever you believe about Bethel, I, I disagree with a lot of things. I was at one of their staff meetings, and I remember sitting there. Eric Johnson was leading the, the thing, and he was like, all right, let's, let's hear testimonies this week. And they bring out this long, all these people have, have these papers, and they're like 173 um, backs were healed. Uh, 13 people that were blind are now seeing. Uh, 54 people can hear. Um, there was uh, this guy had cancer. Here's the, oh, we got the doctor. Let's put this up on the screen. Here's the doctor's note saying he's freed from cancer from prayer. Like, it's like uh, 75 people. People accepted Jesus on Sunday at the, the, uh, the Sunday service at 9.32 at this service. I was like, oh my goodness. Like this is a lifetime of testimonies from one week. And they're just sitting there quietly. I'm about to freak out. Like what is going to, and then Eric Johnson gets up. He's like, all right, we just have to worship. We have to honor God for the testimony of this past week. Let's not get bored. Let's not get tired and let's not take it for granted. Honor the testimonies. That's how you'll grow in faith. You guys make sense? Does this make sense? Lastly, give away what you've received. You want to grow in faith, whatever little faith you have, give that away and God will give you more. Um, This is how you grow and cultivate a life of faith. When your faith increases um, in situations, you'll grow in different ways. One of the ways I think we can exercise faith in our cultural context is through generosity. I think there's a connection between faith and giving, like the easiest connection, that first the natural, then the supernatural, like how we manage and operate and live with our resources will demonstrate how we'll operate and demonstrate um, our faith in supernatural context. Does that make sense? So number two is faith. Number three is gifts. I'm, gonna, I'm just going to say this. So Paul gives us a list of gifts Um, And if you look at Romans, if you look at Corinthians, if you go to the Old Testament and Exodus, you see that the supernatural impartation of gifts are for prophecy, words of knowledge, healing, discerning the spirits, tongues, interpretation, help, helps, gifts, teaching, encouragement, giving, leadership, mercy, arts, craftsmanship, and other gifts. There's this, there's this like ongoing list. It's not like there's one list. There's lots of different ways the Holy Spirit manifests um, his supernatural empowering, his grace upon your life. And the point isn't that you get one. The point is that there's this plentiful uh, resource that we have access to that the Holy Spirit can give us at times. But maybe this is obvious, but, but here's the deal about spiritual gifts. Where you have a spiritual gift, you will experience more power than where you don't. Does that make sense? Like, so this year we're trying to increase the prophetic gifting of our church. So I'm bringing Julie in a bunch. We have an uh, Empowered Conference, which I'm going to just announce right now. Um, we haven't done it in a couple years. Um, this October, we have Chris Valentin coming. We have Julian Adams coming uh, to specifically educate and resource our church in prophecy. Um, and I'm starting with prophecy because I think God wants, to, uh, wants us to be a more prophetic culture. And some of us have the gift of prophecy. Some of us have gifts of healing. Some of you pray for people. Like, I pray for people 
that to get healed and 99% of the time they don't get healed. But then I have my friends pray and it's like their batting average is like 50%. So every time someone comes, they're like, hey, can, I, can you pray for healing? I'm like, well, let me find the right person because this person operates with a level of gifting and power that is demonstrated and I know it. Some people are really good at words of knowledge. Some people have leadership gifts in our church, serving gifts. There are gifts of administration in our church. Praise Jesus, because without administration, we wouldn't have this large of a community. Do you know that? Right? So there's all sorts of gifts. And where we have access to some of these gifts, we'll see more power, right? But we're not limited to the gifts. You don't need to be gifted at teaching if the missional need of the moment is teaching. Like, it's the Philip complex, right? So Philip was waiting tables in Acts chapter 6, Acts chapter 8. He's casting out demons, proclaiming the kingdom in Samaria, in a city in Samaria. The whole city is filled with joy. A couple chapters earlier, he was literally handling the casserole dish. And now he's a city evangelist. Why? Not because of an Enneagram profile or a discipleship catechism. No, because what that city needed, he had access to from the Holy Spirit, and the Spirit imparted that in him. Are you with me? But you can grow in your gifts. So how do you grow in the gifts? I'm just going to list them. Ask for them. You can practice them. You do need to practice the gifts, right? You want more prophecy? Be in a context where you have to prophesy. You want to see healing in your life? Pray for the sick. It's not going to be because you're like meditating in your room, you know, like, oh, Lord, just give me the gift of healing. Oh, Jesus. That's not how it works. The gift of healing is not for you. It's for the sick person, right? The only gift that's for your personal edification, you ready? Tongues. The weird one that nobody wants to talk about. The one that builds you up. The one that strengthens, that equips you to pray things that you wouldn't know what to pray because the Spirit's inside you is the one we don't want because it's weird. It's awkward. I don't know what I'm saying. It sounds like gibberish, but you do it because God has empowered it. Look, I know that's a strange one and we have issues around that. That's one of the questions theologically people want to know. In Acts chapter two, it was known languages. The Greek word is xenoelia, actual languages like Spanish and, and Greek and different languages that were spoken. The other word for tongues that Paul refers to in Corinthians as a gift is glossolalia, unknown heavenly language that we have access to. Paul says, I, I, I pray in that tongue more than anyone. I wish all of you would, is what he says. Because he knows there's this secret sauce <laughs> of intimacy. And it's not like one who has it is more spiritual than one who doesn't. That's not how it works. It's just about more. And I would just say, if, if you want the gift of tongues for your personal edification, just keep asking. We're, we'll never pressure. We'll never force. There's no theology of sanctification with tongues. That's not how it works. It's just like one of the other gifts, but it's for your edification. So you can practice them. You can grow by serving. Philip is an example. And you can grow through impartation. Right? First Timothy, Paul says, chapter 4, verse 14, he says, uh, don't neglect your spiritual gift, which was given to you with the prophetic word or um, through prophecy when the body of elders laid their hands on you. They're, it's like airdrop. I mean, I really do think there are moments where the Holy Spirit airdrops a gift. That there are gifts that we possess as individuals 
that oftentimes, if through relationship, by the way, not like this, okay, that guy's supernaturally empowered. Now I'm going to have what he has, like Highlander. Like, there can be only one. Um, it's an old movie. And I used to love it as a kid. Um, but I believe through impartation that you can receive more. So I will regularly ask. Like, I was like, Francis Chan, pray for me. I want whatever you have. Like, I'm like, what? I, it's mysterious, but I'm, I'm, I'm so hungry for more. Every leader I, I respect, I'm like, will you pray for me? Lord, just give me whatever they, they have. Give me faith like them. Give me faithfulness. I want to carry those things. If there is an impartation for me, I want it. Does that make sense? So you should ask for it. Go to people and be like, hey, I want what you carry. Would you pray? I don't know how it works, but I know it's biblical. The last one is holiness. Um, we've been talking about this for a while, but the call is to be consecrated before the Lord. That there's a direct connection between consecration and the demonstration of power. Remember, holiness is to be set apart for God's special purposes. So it's to be set apart from, to be set apart for. And holiness is part of the early church. There is a connection between a lifestyle of obedience and holiness and the release of his power. But it's a moving target. So we can't get distracted or fall uh, subject to thinking that the world's standards of fasting and consecration it will be our standard. Yes, you should get rid of sexual immorality and impurity, of course. There's obvious things like greed and envy and, and, and gossip and uh, sexual immorality. But when we're talking about consecration, yes, those are the obvious things for all Christians. But when God invites us into a season of consecration, being set apart for God's special purposes, there are things that we give up that are not sinful by nature. They're not bad by nature. Jesus goes into the wilderness and doesn't eat food for 40 days. Not because food's bad. Praise God, food is really good. Because he was training his appetites to be formed by heaven's agenda. Consecration is having your life and your desires and your appetites to be formed by heaven's agenda. So when you, when you choose to live in consecration, to grow in intimacy and power with God, you're choosing to give up things for the sake of intimacy and worship. So the early church, those, the, the way of consecration was like worship, prayer, and fasting. Fasting is choosing to give up things for the sake of more of God. Right now, if I, if I were to say things that we should consider, I wouldn't say, hey, next Lent, let's give up chocolate as a church. I don't think chocolate will form your appetites to resist hell. Maybe for some of you. But seriously, that's not a sacrifice. Your, 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 your phone, access to social media. What are the appetites that you're being formed by that require a sacrifice to be formed by heaven's way? Throughout history, we see there's a connection between self-sacrifice and God's demonstration of power. King David says, I cannot make a sacrifice that, won't, that costs me nothing. 1 Chronicles 21. Greater love has no one than this than to lay down one's life for one's friend. The ultimate, listen to this, the ultimate power the most, that's ever been demonstrated in human history. The power to defeat death, to defeat Satan and his dominion, and the power to, to defeat sin was a power of self-sacrificial love. Self-sacrifice, self-sacrificial love is directly connected to the demonstration of God's power. So consecration, 
which requires self-sacrifice, prepares you for heavenly purpose. Throughout the church, there were seasons where people sacrificed food and sleep and sex and comfort suggested in the, in all in the scripture as a way of connecting their intensity towards God. Consecration is one of the deepest, oldest uh, traditions of the church. In the first uh, Acts chapter 1, they continued to pray together. There was this passion for prayer. Acts chapter 14, they fasted and prayed. And then uh, Acts 13, sorry, in Antioch, and the Holy Spirit comes again and releases an apostolic movement. St. Anthony, a Christian monastic, was famous for spending years in isolation and fasting in the Egyptian desert. And he saw miracles even throughout persecution. He was not afraid to follow God. We've already talked about him, but the great American revivalist Charles Finney moved with such power that sometimes people would sob in repentance as soon as he walked into the room. And he said in his own autobiography, when his power waned, he would set apart a day of private fasting and prayer, and the power would return upon him in fullness and freshness. Consecration is connected to God's power. Very truly, I tell you, whoever believes in me will do the works I have been doing, and they will do even greater things than these. Brothers and sisters, I want to see greater things. Can we stand as we enter into ministry? I went... Very long. You guys are so gracious for not walking out on me. Thank you so much. Hey, if you have kids, go get them. It's 11.50. Go get them. And if you want to come back, we're going to do ministry time. Um, Bring the kids in. It's Pentecost. We want our kids to be filled with the Holy Spirit. My four-year-old on Saturday, I've asked him lots of times, by the way. We were reading a devotion, and um, we were doing these declaration prayers, like, my prayers are powerful. Um, I'm free from sin and alive in him. We're getting our kids to memorize these truth statements. And I got to that one. I'm like, hey, Amos, you know, do you know how to be free from sin and alive in Christ? He's like, yeah, through Jesus. I'm like, do you want to be free from sin and alive in Christ? Because Lord knows we need you to be free from sin. I'm um, just kidding. Um, that was a joke for my four-year-old. He's a, he's a passionate little one. Um, he said, yeah, and, and I led him to receive Jesus right there. He, it was his first time he ever prayed a prayer, and obviously he's four, but, but all, my, my other son did it around that time too, and I was just thinking about, man, this four-year-old is confessing Jesus is Lord, and then we asked the Holy Spirit to fill him, and there was just the light in him all day. Um, and I just believe that it, there's this, these, this moment for us right now where as innocent as a four-year-old, we just can ask God for more. So would you just close your eyes and open up your hand and invite the Holy Spirit. Holy Spirit, would you pour yourself out in fresh ways? Thank you for listening. For more information, please visit garden.church.